0: When they moved to this country and immigrated, they moved because they wanted a better life. So they wanted their first child to be a gymnast. And there's always this funny story that my parents used to say and my dad used to say with such enthusiasm at six months. We didn't have a washer or dryer. We had a clothesline. And they wanted to test my strength. And of course... You know, they're like, we'll see how strong she is. This is going to be a telltale you know, sign that she's going to be a gymnast if she can hold on. So I literally held on at six months to that clothesline until it broke.
1: This is episode number 36 with Olympic gold medal winning gymnast Dominique Muciano. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, medical student and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, let's get started with this week's episode. Welcome back to Pursuing Health. In this episode, I sit down with Olympic gold medal winning gymnast and the youngest member of the Magnificent Seven, Dominique Mochiano. A little bit about her before we get started. She was born to Romanian immigrants, and after showing promise as a gymnast from a very young age, her family decided to move to Houston, Texas, so that she could train with the renowned coaches, Bella and Marta Caroli. She would go on to have an incredible career, ultimately achieving her dream of becoming an Olympic champion in the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta with her team. However, despite the success, she endured tremendous instability and abuse in both her training and her home environments throughout her career. She eventually sought emancipation from her parents to recover lost earnings from her career as an elite gymnast. And it wasn't until her relationship with her now husband, Dr. Mike Canalis, developed that she started to process the mistreatment she had endured and begin the path to healing. Another surprise came in 2007 with the discovery of her long-lost sister, Jennifer Bricker, who was born with no legs and who her father had given up for adoption after her birth. Today, Dominique lives in Cleveland with her husband, Mike, and their two children, Carmen and Vincent. She's reconciled with her father prior to his passing, and she works to catalyze change in the world of gymnastics so that future generations will experience a training environment that's both safe and healthy. I was lucky to work with Dominique and Mike on my own gymnastics and get to know both of them while training for the 2014 CrossFit Games. I spoke with Mike in episode two of Pursuing Health shortly after he repaired my torn Achilles tendon that I sustained at the 2015 CrossFit Games regionals. I've heard various aspects of Dominique's story from her over the past few years, as well as read her memoir, and each time I'm blown away by the strength and the resilience that she displayed from a very young age. I was so excited to finally sit down with her to share some of these stories with you and also to hear her shed some light on the recent 2016 Olympics and how gymnastics has evolved over the past 20 plus years from her vantage point. Before we get started, I have a few quick reminders. First, if you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and consider giving it a five-star rating. You can also head to my website, juliefouche.com where you can enter your email to stay in the loop with the podcast and everything else I'm doing with my biweekly newsletter. I'm also always looking for inspiring stories to share. So if you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send your story to me at info at and I'll select some to share here on future episodes. If you're interested in training with me, check out my program through Beyond the Whiteboard. This is the actual training that I do now, five days per week, one hour per day, scheduled out for you minute by minute from warm-up to cool-down. We also have a train-on-the-go program that's perfect for helping you get your workouts in on vacation or during a busy time at home. For more info or to try the program out yourself, visit beyondthewhiteboard.com slash juliefouchet. Also, please remember that although I'm nearing graduation from medical school, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and does not provide medical advice. So, with that, let's get started here on episode 36 of Pursuing Health featuring Olympic gold medal winning gymnast Dominique Luciano. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I am here with Dominique Mucciano. We are here in her home. So thank you so much for having me. Um, and I'm happy enough or lucky enough, I guess, to call you a co- former coach, mentor, and a friend. And I'm very excited to finally sit down and have you on the podcast. Ah, thank you,
0: Julie. Happy to be with you. <laughs> Thanks.
1: Um, so I was thinking we could maybe just start with how we met because mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting part of our story and then um, give some background about our relationship. So... Mm-hmm. I, of course, grew up in the 90s as a gymnast, and so like all other 90s gymnasts, I was obsessed with the Magnificent Seven, and I had the VHS that I watched over and over again of the 96 Olympics, which, of course, you were part of that gold medal winning team and one of my favorites to watch. I think you were most people's favorite to watch because you were just so animated and excited and um, looked like you were really having fun out there. Um so of course I looked up to you as a young gymnast. I did gymnastics through high school, and then actually looking back, I have a picture of meeting you for the first time at the Arnold, which is a was a gymnastics competition in Columbus when I was probably around maybe around 10 or 11 years old. And uh, little did I know that we would actually meet again later um, here in Cleveland. So maybe you could talk about how you first found out about CrossFit and then how we end, I I guess you started teaching some gymnastics seminars at local CrossFit gyms and then we ended up ultimately meeting.
0: Yes, well, my husband, Mike Canalis, he introduced me more to the CrossFit community and really was fascinated with CrossFit and he had had some people reach out to him and wanted possibly to help with some gymnastics and have mm-hmm. us both help with some of their gymnastics. And some of the CrossFitters became his patients. And so long story short, uh, we just kind of fell into it, really. Um, Mike had heard a lot about the community and was really intrigued. Um, We knew that we could help in the gymnastics portion of CrossFit. And we started, honestly, with a seminar Mm -hmm. at one of the local CrossFit CLEs. Mm -hmm. And it was really... A fun experience because we got to teach what we loved, gymnastics and Mm -hmm. mobility, and really tried to incorporate gymnastics in the world of CrossFit. Even though you have it there, it wasn't really specifically worked on. At Mm -hmm. that point in time, there were only two boxes in Cleveland when Mm -hmm. we did this. And I mean, look how many there are now. So to be really on the forefront of those things was very exciting. It was a way that we could open gymnastics to another community that was already including gymnastics Mm -hmm. in their practices, but they didn't know the specifics of how to be, you know, good at the gymnastics portion, at the flexibility. How do we get better at these muscle-ups? How do we get stronger in that area? Mm -hmm. And how do we use these techniques to help them? So that was our first real introduction to CrossFit and introducing gymnastics to CrossFit. So after that, we, shortly after actually, we met you mm-hmm. at the other CrossFit that yeah. was a open in Cleveland in the Beachwood area. So we took a picture, and I know that Mike was talking to the owner at the time, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh yeah, I would love to have you guys come in and possibly teach us a little bit. We really want to kind of expand our knowledge in the gymnastics realm, right. and Mike and... Um, Mike and the owner had talked for a while, and then you came in mm-hmm. not too long after that, and really, we just kind of started to hit it off. and I remember the really cool picture that we took. <laughs> um, you, me, my sister was in town, yep. my children, uh, Mike. so we took a really cool picture in that yep. crossFit gym Handstands and, <laughs> and Mike on the
1: rings, and we had everyone. Yep, doing everyone something. doing
0: something, and
1: that was really our first time that we yeah. we met. yeah. And I still remember that because I was sitting in a coffee shop studying and I got a text from the owner saying, oh, would you be interested in meeting Dominique Muciano? And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even realize that you lived here in Cleveland. And so for me, that was a, a very exciting opportunity. And I had a great time getting to know you guys a little bit and talking to you when you came to the gym. And then it was actually also perfect timing for me because at that time I had been taking a year off from competition and... I was thinking about getting ready for the next year, coming back. And one of the areas that I wanted to focus on was gymnastics. And I had tried some other gymnastics coaches that were more remote coaches. And I realized that this was one discipline that you really needed that hands-on coaching and the feedback in real time. And I was just... I was like who is going to be in Cleveland that could teach me gymnastics you know there's no real big college teams here like I I didn't know who to go to and then right at that perfect time is when you guys came into my life so it was sort of very perfect timing and then shortly after that we started working together on about a weekly basis Mm -hmm. um just where I would go to the gymnastics gym with you and Mike and you would help me with my gymnastics skills to supplement all my CrossFit training for my 2014 season um Is there anything, I know that, so so that was sort of your first experience with CrossFit competitions Mm -hmm. during that year. And is there anything as you're looking back and reflecting on that surprised you or anything about the gymnastics that, um, is in CrossFit that really surprises you or excites you? Well, I think when I look back and you
0: are such a unique athlete, I think in the sport itself that. I just feel very fortunate to have been able to work with you because your drive and dedication and just your discipline was tremendous. And that's what I see in a lot of high level gymnasts. So I see a lot of crossover. Mm -hmm. I see a huge tight knit community. I see a lot of that in gymnastics too. I mean, when you love something, you love something Mm -hmm. and you see that with the CrossFit community, you see that with the gymnastics community. And so it's very interesting. They're parallel lives and parallel worlds, but Mm -hmm. they cross over in many, many ways when it comes to the dedication, the hard work, the pushing your body to the limits, pushing your mind to the limits. Mm -hmm. so i really got a sense of that when i went to my first crossfit games watching you and helping you in the sidelines mike and i would be Mm -hmm. like okay when can we talk to julie (laughs) when can we go outside and meet her okay we're gonna go meet her by this tree and i'm like okay (laughs) this is interesting this is i've never done this before but it was a it was a unique experience but all in all our gymnastics training helped us for this Mm -hmm. um i do believe that the paths cross over in so many ways and I think your mental toughness probably Helped because of gymnastics. I think you were able to carry a lot of that over. And as you've told me in the past, a lot of gymnasts really do well in CrossFit Mm -hmm. because you are a well rounded athlete. I believe when you are a gymnast, you train every single part of your body essentially Mm -hmm. and your mind. So, any sport you choose to do after, I believe you have a huge advantage. And I guess that just came more to the surface when we worked with you and it just showed and proved to me that. Everything I always believed was true. Our sport is such a great foundation Mm -hmm. for anything you choose to do afterwards in life. And it stays with you. And you can build upon those skills. You can expand upon those skills. Like today, I feel like I can still do things. Mm -hmm. I threw an aerial not too long ago, (laughs) and I couldn't believe it. Because if you maintain your strength in your body and your flexibility over time... You can do things you never thought. You were a better gymnast when you were older because you were stronger. Absolutely. Remember when you threw the Rudies yeah. off of the board in the gym? When we were doing that and you saw your gymnastics ability, you're like, I wish I was stronger back in high school because so true. it would have helped. And I see how being strong attributes to some of the greatest gymnasts in the world mm-hmm. and athletes. Like being physically strong and physically fit
1: helps you in anything you choose to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I want to talk a little bit more about that later too, because mm-hmm. I think that's an an interesting thing that's going on now. Um, but I I do want to talk a little bit about um, just your life in general, because I think a, a few months into working with you, I finally had the time to sit down and read your memoir. <laughs> Off Balance, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic. And I recommend everyone read it because (laughs) it was one of those books that I can't remember the last time I couldn't put a book down, but I really couldn't put it down. I don't know if it's because I knew you, (laughs) um, but I couldn't put it down because it's just unbelievable the experiences that you've had in your life and the things that you have overcome and then how you've come out with such resilience and so strong um, now today. And so I want to talk about some of those things. But I was hoping that we could start out with just at the beginning when Mm -hmm. you fell in love with gymnastics, what it was like for you as a very, very young girl, because I know you started very young Mm -hmm. um, and how you knew that this is something that you are made to do. Well, my very first
0: lesson in gymnastics was at age three. Mm -hmm. But there's a funny story. At about six months, my parents who were born and raised in Romania, Mm -hmm. you know, they wanted their first child to be a gymnast because Nadia Comaneci was from Romania. <laughs> she was the pride child of right. Romania. And the sport of gymnastics was huge in Romania. Other than soccer, I mean, gymnastics was it for every little girl wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. So my mother being Nadia's age, you know, always loved gymnastics as well. Saw her grow up in the sport. And my parents decided when they moved to this country and immigrated, they moved because they wanted a better life. Mm-hmm. So they wanted their first child to be a gymnast. And there's always this funny story that my parents used to say and my dad used to say with Mm -hmm. such enthusiasm at six months we didn't have a washer or dryer we had a clothesline Mm -hmm. and they wanted to test my strength (laughs) and of course you know they're like we'll see how strong she is this is going to be a telltale you know sign (laughs) that she's going to be a gymnast if she can hold on so I literally held on at six months to that clothesline until it broke (laughs) and my parents caught me and it was so funny because my dad's like, aha, you're going to be a great gymnast one day. And so it was kind of like. So that's the test. That's now the test. Now everyone's going to take
1: their six-month-old. Yes, see how yes. yes. They if can you can find on. a clothesline.
0: You can, you know, use a bar, I guess, these right. days. But, yeah, I mean, my mom hand-washed all the clothes and hung them up to dry. I mean, she did everything very old school because they didn't have a washer and dryer. Yeah. So that's kind of the funny first story <laughs> of really them showing desire and having me test you know my strength Mm -hmm. and they're like she's gonna be a gymnast so by age three i started gymnastics and i just loved it i mean they put me in a tennis class and a gymnastics class Mm -hmm. around the same time you know tennis was great it's a beautiful sport it wasn't for me i wasn't ever going to be tall enough anyway (laughs) so in a way gymnastics chose me i just was in the gym and i loved it it was a huge playground And I just loved bouncing on the trampoline like Mm -hmm. every little kid does. I had a lot of energy. And also, it gave me a sense of just something to love. Like, Mm -hmm. I just really fell in love with it. And I was very good at it very early on. I moved through the ranks very quickly. And by the age of nine, I said out loud, like, for the first time, like, I want to go to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. I want to, you know, win a gold medal. And I did the very first interview that I ever did with local television and anybody that really knew me knew my heart because I watched the 92 Olympics and Mm -hmm. they knew I I had the desire to be an Olympic you know medalist and but the first time that somebody outside of my parents and coaches finally came to the gym was Mm -hmm. that Tampa news station when we were living there and they were doing an Olympic hopeful segment and they said what do you want to be I said I want to Be an Olympic champion. You know, I want to win a lot of medals and be on TV a lot. I was so funny in my nine-year-old voice. Yes. (laughs) So that's really when the journey officially began. I mean, it always begins when you first start because you have those years, formative years that you need to develop your training. But at nine was really the shift. At nine and a half, I moved to Houston, Texas to... Continue elite training Mm -hmm. and I was training 40 plus hours a week at nine years old. I mean, I was already a junior elite gymnast and I competed my first international competition representing the United States at 10 years old in Brazil for the Pan American Games. That's
1: incredible. <laughs> so it was, it was a lot that happened in, so a, in a short amount of time, definitely. And at such a young age. Mm-hmm. And where do you think that came from? Because that's one of the things I've always admired about you—is just your conviction and your belief to just say, "Nope, I'm going to be. I'm nine years old. I'm going to be an Olympic <laughs> champion." Where do you think that comes from? You know, people ask me that, and and sometimes
0: it's it's really an innate thing I mean nobody ever taught me I never went to a a sports psychologist to teach me how to think Mm -hmm. it was just innate from the moment I can remember being in the gym I wanted to be the best Mm -hmm. I wanted to win and I knew I could win that's the difference is sometimes you want it, Mm -hmm. but you doubt yourself. Like every time I went into a competition, I was going to win. I knew in my head that I could do it. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to have that belief in yourself when you're a competitor, when you're a competitive athlete, you have to know that you can do it before you do it Mm -hmm. because you don't have to have that room for doubt because when the doubt creeps in is when you start to doubt yourself and then you start to make errors. And so that's something that, I think it was driven just by wanting to be a champion, by wanting to be the best I could be. Every single day I went to the gym. It wasn't always easy, obviously. There were times I felt like, okay, I'm <laughs> burned out. I've had enough. I don't even want to be in the gym anymore. Right. But ultimately that desire to to accomplish things that had never been done before, to be a champion, just
1: that sheer will. And I think it, a lot of it was innate, mm-hmm. Well, that's something that I know, um, you and Mike worked with me on Mm -hmm. while you were coaching me and I, I appreciate it because that's something that I don't think came quite as innately to me, (laughs) and and to some people it doesn't, but it's something that I think applies whether you're an athlete or in anything else Mm -hmm. in life that you're trying to achieve is having that, um, that belief in yourself and that ability to shut out all the doubts to be able Mm -hmm. to accomplish it.
0: Yes. It's a skill you have to learn. I mean, some people have it innately, but mm-hmm. through sports psychology nowadays, you have so many more tools than we used to have. Mm-hmm. So there are ways to train and develop that. Um, you know, just most recently, I know Simone Biles, who's the current Olympic all-around champion. She was having trouble with doubt mm-hmm. and challenges with, by the age of 13, her mom said, you know what? I think what we're going to do is get her a sports psychologist mm-hmm. because she couldn't get through that, you know, doubt period. And right. ever since she went to that sports psychologist at the age of 13 on, she never lost a meet That's amazing. because she treat, trained her mind to have confidence. And mm-hmm. so you're seeing in this modern day that that actually is helping mm-hmm. even the greatest gymnast in the world right now. Right. So you're seeing that that there are ways if for some reason you may not have had it naturally. There are ability and there's ability and there's a way to get there. And so no one should ever be discouraged because we have so many tools nowadays
1: right. to get where we want to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it's so interesting. I read that too, that at one point her coach even pulled her out of a meet because she was just doubting herself so much. And mm-hmm. that's the point where you know, she ended up going and seeking help and now she's, uh, you know, unstoppable. Mm -hmm. So it's very cool to see that and that it, it can be learned. Mm -hmm. Um, and speaking of that, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, the next phase of your training, you moved, your whole family moved to Houston for your training Mm -hmm. to be with, you know, in the best environment with the best coaches so that you could go to the Olympics. Um, but during that time, it wasn't exactly what you expected. It was a very different training environment. Um, You had a lot of challenges, both at home and in the gym. Mm -hmm. Um, And you were there, you were training with the Corollis. And now we've just finished watching the 2016 Olympics. We've been hearing a lot about the Corollis because it was Marta's last season before she retired. Mm -hmm. Um, And the girl, they're still very, they still have been very involved in USA Gymnastics. But it looks like a very different picture right now. And you see... These unstoppable teams, which, of course, your team set the stage for in 96 by being the first team to win gold. Um, The girls seem like they're really thriving. They seem Mm -hmm. like they're having fun. Um, So I was wondering if you could just maybe compare and contrast some of what you went through and what it took some of these growing pains for the USA Gymnastics system to get to where it is today and how it is different for the girls that we're seeing on TV today.
0: Well, in our time period, you have to remember the Carolis, they retired 20 years ago. That was probably their fifth retirement at the time, (laughs) but they retired. Carrie, Strug, and myself were their last personal gymnasts that Mm -hmm. they trained. And they only trained us for a short period of time. So really, I had many, many coaches that I credit that have developed me and shaped me Mm -hmm. to the point where that got me to the Olympics. And then beyond, I had different coaches as well. But the time period then was very different because the Corollis had personal gymnasts Mm that they they were with every single day that is very different than going once a month to a training camp where you have a national team coordinator but all the gymnasts have their personal coaches we are not giving as much credit to the personal coaches yes a semi-centralized system is good in a lot of ways where you're seeing these girls have more camaraderie Mm -hmm. we didn't have semi-centralized system back in 20
1: years ago. Can you explain just for people listening what that system looks like?
0: So the system changed after the 96 Olympics. Uh, originally, Bella took over, mm-hmm. but the methods were too harsh that were used. Mm-hmm. So then Bella got out, basically got pushed out by the coaches and by the gymnasts because the 2000 experience for the young gymnast training was, was horrendous. Mm-hmm they and I was at some of those training camps it was really really bad when Bella had taken over because he was just going to be just as brutal as he was to his individual athletes Mm -hmm. well that didn't go well with the national team girls who trained in a very different environment with the other coaches and they weren't used to this and the coaches didn't know what to do Mm -hmm. because this was stemming down from the top of the organization they were implementing this because they thought this is what we need to win well You know, it worked where we didn't have this before and we just won. So that wasn't, this overhaul wasn't necessary to be so extreme initially. So Mm. that pushed Bella out from being the coordinator and then Marta eventually came in. Mm -hmm. So these semi-centralized systems mean that the national team, where the national team trains for gymnastics is a central location. Okay. And all of the ladies on the national team and their coaches come once a month for training for three or four day camps. Okay. So then they started, because they knew in America they couldn't have a communist system, Mm -hmm. but what was the next best thing? They wanted to have some kind of training camps to build camaraderie, and so that's why you can't pluck kids away from home at five years old like they did in communist Romania. They were trying to implement a system similar. But because we have different rules and regulations in America, Mm -hmm. you can't do that. So what's the next best thing that we can get everybody together? And I think this is why the semi-centralized system got developed. Mm -hmm. Because they wanted to start having USA be more of a powerhouse in gymnastics. Before we won, it had never been done. Mm -hmm. So the Russians and Romanians And even Chinese at times, they were always our nemesis. I mean, they were our arch rivals. We could never really get there. It was so close. But then we did in 96, and we broke through. And Mm -hmm. so achieving the success, I mean, in the United States, at the Centennial Olympic Games was huge, and the gymnastics community wanted more. So they didn't want us to disappear again and drop. So when the system got developed, it it had some rough patches mm-hmm. when Bella took over in 2000. It was not good. So then they changed it, and then Marta started taking over.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And there are still some brutal things that happen at those training camps. Mm-hmm. But there's a buffer now because the personal coaches can protect their athletes a little bit more.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So Marta used to go down on the floor, but now she doesn't. She's always in the stands. There's a reason she's been pushed mm-hmm. out there, you know. So she's more at a distance, but when the national team camps are held in her own backyard, now it's the national team training center. Right. I mean, that's a huge advantage for them financially. But also, they, they did build some camaraderie among, among the gymnasts, which mm-hmm. was needed because the, the secrets – from the other parts of the world were not being shared when you're training individually at your own gym. Right. So when you're coming to these camps, now they're sharing secrets, they're sharing techniques. All the countries that dis- basically folded under their communist structure, mm-hmm. the old, former Soviet Union collapsed, mm-hmm. former communist Romania collapsed. So now a lot of these people wanted to immigrate to the United States who had gymnastics knowledge. Mm-hmm. So when you see the elite women's program, It has a lot of diversity from all over the world. Chinese, Romanians, Russians. All of these coaches have now infiltrated our program, which is in a good way and not infiltrated in a bad way. Mm -hmm. But they share knowledge now that was never there. When you had your coaches and didn't have a national team camp where you shared the knowledge and you knew what other girls were doing in the country, Mm -hmm. you were working blindly sometimes until you got to the competition. You didn't know what the girls were doing, and you were always pit against each other. Mm -hmm. Now they're trying to create more of a unit, a unit with the American team, which Mm -hmm. is that part of it is good. And I think it's helped the girls create a tighter-knit bond because they see each other more regularly. They know what they're going through at the camps. Not to say that there aren't harsh methods and treatments sometimes, but they have that protection. If they have a good coach, they're much more protected. If there's a coach that sometimes falls in that line of, you know, they – they treat their athlete kind of not that great. Mm-hmm. Well, they kind of sometimes, you know, have the the bad end of the, the stick, so to speak. But for the most part, that's why things have gotten better. Over time, they've worked out the kinks. Marta has learned where to step back
2: mm-hmm.
0: and has also tried to overstep her bounds. But I know that some coaches are like, no, she's not doing that. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of the success. It's not... Only because of one person, it's in spite of the whole situation, but also coaches are now coming and speaking more up for their athlete they're sticking up for their athlete mm-hmm. and there are good things about doing pressure sets from the moment you get to camp there's a lot of pressure but there's also been a lot of injuries that people don't know about they've mm-hmm. been hidden mm-hmm. because they don't want you to hear about those things because then they're going to say it gives you a reason to critique the camps right but really I mean they're trying to be a little bit better on top of things but trust me I've gotten the text <laughs> and I I can't, you know, out my sources and out the gymnasts that confide in me, but they're like, this is crazy. She's acting crazy and I don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, your coach will stick up for you. Don't worry Mm -hmm. about it. You know, you just do what you feel safe with. She's like, I'm not doing a full routine and she wants me to do my legs are dead. And you know, these Mm -hmm. kinds of things. So I hear the whispers behind the scenes. So I have a lot more knowledge Mm -hmm. when it comes to this stuff than what is just presented on television. Right. You present this narrative on television during the Olympics that she's the person that's coaching them every day. And that's not true. It's, it's a person that's h- heading the camps that's the camps are in their backyard it's a national team training center it's a team effort how much credit did you see the individual coaches get during the olympics mm-hmm. they're the ones spending every single day with the athletes but right. this narrative and they're such recognizable faces you know television has wanted to keep this narrative for so long and and create this huge you know moment for these coaches and i get it but they were retired a long time ago you know <laughs> i mean it's not there to their credit like they have some magic wand that's like okay you're the only people in the world actually you know they've harmed more gymnasts if you look at the lineage of caroli gymnasts mm-hmm. how many talented gymnasts they plucked they got to choose from the best of the best yeah. and every single one of them had fractures and injuries going into the olympics every one of them and they made major mistakes why do you think that is there's a track record there's a pattern
2: mm-hmm.
0: that's why they could not get their own personal gymnasts to be at their healthiest mind body during the olympics they did things that were not 100 percent keeping up with the times they had mm-hmm. old methodologies from the communist days and brutal like well, oh, routines 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 numbers 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 and really you needed to think and get people who had more education in nutrition and just told us not to eat. Well, you know, that's not gonna fuel our bodies. I mean, I was four foot, 475 pounds, and I had a stress fracture five weeks before the Olympic Games. Why on earth would that happen to a healthy 14-year-old little girl who's light, who's lean as can be? There was no reason, and that almost had my Olympic dream hanging in the balance. Mm -hmm. So when you look at the track record, are these, you know, coaches good or not? Well, they've left a lot of broken gymnasts. I mean, they have left a lot of gymnasts from the past scarred, Mm -hmm. hurt, broken into pieces when they left the sport. I don't think that qualifies as great coaching. I'm sorry, but that's the truth of it. There may be some good methods that they had and okay they're really good when it comes to some numbers okay you have to hit and be able to hit under any condition and that's what Marta was doing with these girls when she prepares them she puts them in every kind of pressure situation okay that part I understand but that doesn't mean you know everything and you should get the credit for all the coaches that are working together at these camps and so that's why I feel like Sometimes it's mischaracterized on TV and some of these girls are not going through what the past generations have gone through. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that they're not going through their own things, but stuff that they'll never talk about publicly Mm -hmm. because... A lot of them are scared, too. I mean, there is a little bit of a culture of fear sometimes, too. Mm -hmm. People are scared. I mean, some people are like, I don't want to say anything. You know, I don't want to be alienated. I don't want to be ostracized. I'm just going to pretend everything's awesome. Yeah. Because it's the easy road. It's always the easy road to say everything's great. But... I see the scars. I see the, you know, when the girls call me and text Mm -hmm. me and say, look, something happened 20 years ago that was really, really bad. Like, how do I deal with this? I'm finally to the point where I can talk about it. I'm still scared to talk about it publicly, but how do I, Mm -hmm. how do I address it? You know, I get those calls. So I see the sport through a different lens than most people. And I think that's the comparison and the contrasting and, you know, talking about all the changes that have happened, you know, they've done some things okay, but but when you're looking at, like, the greatest coaches in the world and what they've been able to do, they don't leave a trail of broken athletes. I mean, I, can't qualif- I cannot say that that's a qualified, great coach when you're leaving a trail of broken gymnast's mind, body, spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many of their gymnasts had the ability to be the all-around champion, you know, right. and, and, and very few were able to get there you know out of all the gymnasts they trained and that was in spite of the training because that was whoever survived right. and endured the most and wasn't broken mentally by the time they got to the Olympics and even if you were you still pushed through and i did it in spite mm-hmm. <laughs> of everything that had happened
1: right and and you talk a lot about that the, the some of those methods and that experience in your book and you were there training every day for four years right. before the Olympics mm-hmm. Um, which was very different, as you say, from going once a month for a couple of days and then having your personal coach. And I know that you also, during that time, during your whole career, went through a lot of different coaching changes and it was difficult to find a really stable environment to train. Mm-hmm. Um, how important is that coaching athlete relationship? And what are some of the things like the good qualities that you look for in a coach to be able to support their athlete? It's so important to have
0: a good coach athlete relationship. You can only be at your best if you're both working to be at each other's best. Mm-hmm. So I stayed at the same gym while other gymnasts were like, I can't take it here anymore. I'm leaving. Right. Left, came back, left, came back. Some of them left for good while well, I stayed from the age of nine
1: and a half to 14. And I had 14 different coaches. And it's had- such a formative time in your life, too. Yes. You're, you know, barely a teenager at that point
0: right and so when the Carolis went to the 1992 Olympics I was just a junior hopeful and there was another junior hopeful that was placed with me in the senior team Mm -hmm. like the girls that were training for the 92 Olympics and basically it was that year that they were like oh we're going to be done with gymnastics and so we were just getting some experience Mm -hmm. with them but we weren't sure yet if they were going to retire we weren't sure So we were placed with them and oh my gosh, I was like in fear every day I went to the gym. I was like Mm -hmm. so scared to even ask to go to the restroom because I was like, they're not going to let me go. I mean, that's how much fear I had in me going to the gym every day. That's Mm -hmm. how much the environment was so different than I was used to. I was just terrified. Mm -hmm. And that's not a great mindset for a nine and a half and 10 year old to be at her best. To be scared every time she's going into the gym. But somehow, I mean, I loved it. I wanted to do it. And I was like, well, if this is what it takes, I guess. I mean, it was kind of warped. It wasn't really a good introduction to like, this is how you're supposed to train for the Olympics. Is it really supposed to be this ruthless and Mm -hmm. so heartless? I mean, I didn't get it. But at 10, you're still trying to figure out things. You don't know. You don't want to tell your parents they just made the sacrifice to come to this gym to train for your Olympic dream. They picked up and moved their entire family for you. What are you going to say? I never told my parents half of the things, even to this day. I never told them half the stories. But I was one of the few that stayed. So for those, you know, years, I had a revolving, you know, door of coaches Mm. and it just showed to me that how important it is, and this is later in life, it is to have a stable coach-athlete relationship. There was no reason I should have succeeded considering the instability mm-hmm. I had in the gym. I mean, how many people stay at the same gym and have that many different coaches in a period of four years yeah
2: yeah.
0: that's a lot that's a lot I had one coach from Kazakhstan come for two weeks he was like (laughs) I'm out of here he didn't even say goodbye because he didn't like it he didn't like the environment he didn't like I guess you know maybe the owners Carly's I don't know I I never fully knew but there's a reason people kept leaving I mean coming and leaving There, there wasn't stability and for me, it was trying to train for an Olympic dream during that time and being pushed through with coaches that were mediocre. And then you bring, you know, these new coaches. And then, again, there's a, a learning period. There's a learning curve between each other, like how each other works. Right. Again, you're starting over. I felt like I was starting over so many times. And it was really, really difficult to stay motivated. Mm-hmm. But I still had that dream and that goal in my heart. And I wanted to t- to do it and pursue it. But... It was just like every time I felt like I was kind of getting ahead, then I'd get again. It was like deflating, you know, like every time and then back again. And it was just so discouraging at times. Mm -hmm. But then there was a godsend and (laughs) the one great coach I had in my childhood, like an amazing coach is one of them. But he's the one who developed me. To become the junior national champion and the senior national champion, to be the youngest ever in history still to this day, and then to be in the Olympics and to have the different skills that I did. Because Mm -hmm. I wasn't a typical Karoli gymnast. I had a lot more diversity in my skills because I was trained by a Russian. Okay. And so when you see my skills, a lot of them are a little bit different and the technique is different. Uh, I evolved mm-hmm. a lot during that age 12 and 13, you know, the time where Alexander Alexandrov came. That was the best decision the Curly's made at mm-hmm. the time to bring him in. And he stuck with me because he knew that I was talented. Mm-hmm. I remember him. Used, he used to say just some funny things about like what Bella would come in. He'd be like, uh-oh. <laughs> he'd be like, uh-uh. He's like, because <laughs> he wanted me to do things. And he's like, he doesn't need the work pound your legs so much. We need to work on trampoline to save your legs. Mm -hmm. And I really loved when I worked with him because he seemed to have a method that wasn't just pound, pound, pound. Mm -hmm. It was a method of longevity. It was a method to develop me, to work on my techniques, to do skills that he knew how to teach me. I was doing inverted, you know, giants and and all these things. He taught me a Pax Salto. He taught me the Shepash I mean, all these things I learned with him, Mm -hmm. Uh, double layouts, you know, I even threw a double double when I was first, with him tuck double double and I got lost a little bit in the I remember but he was trying to teach me how to do double out full out dismount off of bars wow. you know at age 11 12 13 to get that spatial awareness right he was teaching me how to do the power power hurdle round off mm-hmm. back hands and back back hand full ends on the trampoline back back backhand, wow. back-hand full in so he was teaching me how to develop power and I see that had a method now Bella never taught me a skill in my life mm. how can the greatest coaches or what they claim to be or people claim to have them be right. never teach you a skill in your life. I, I just, I didn't get that experience. So I don't know if anybody else did, but I wa- I was taught always by the Russians that they brought in mm-hmm. and they did bring them in to help us in the areas they were deficient in, which right. is fine. I mean, I think we all need that, right. but he was truly the coach that molded me and made me the gymnast. I was before the Olympics at that young age mm-hmm. the, because I had some, I had some things I needed to polish. I needed duff, and he taught me the backhand three layouts on beam. Wow. He taught me that <laughs> he was making me do backhand, backhand, backhand on beam. And I was like, so scared at first. <laughs> I was like, you want me to fit three backhand yeah. springs on the beam? I've never done this. You know, I was like nervous at 10 years, you know, 11 years old. I would say, cause he started right. around 11, 12, but, um, it was just a little bit nerve wracking, when I was like, Ooh. but I ended up doing it and he was teaching me developmental stages and okay. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't taught that stuff with other coaches, mm-hmm. but he was truly a coach that could take a little child and bring them all the way into an elite career. Okay, That was always what amazed me by him. He mm-hmm. could take anybody. If you had talent and you were a little child, he could take anybody all the way from the baby years, from mm-hmm. like three years old, all the way up and make you an elite gymnast and make you a good one so that was that was his method i mean i saw things in him as a coach that i just like I was like, thank you. It was my most stable year and a half with him that I spent. And I learned so much. I was training three times a day in the summer. Mm -hmm. It was sometimes it was just me and him Mm -hmm. in the gym all alone three times a day. And I was like, (laughs) until finally a couple of others came. But that whole summer, it was just us. I was, it was brutal. (laughs) Just us at the ranch too, where the National Team Training Center is. It was just us. I was like, but, but I grew a lot. Mm -hmm. I grew a lot that year. He taught me so much and And then when it was pulled out from under me, so right before 95 Nationals, he comes, well, Bella comes in and basically like, I'm taking over, and he was fired. Just out of the blue. Out of the blue. Didn't even have an explanation. I didn't even have a chance to say goodbye. He didn't have a chance to say goodbye because the Crowleys wouldn't let him come back in the gym and say goodbye to us. Mm. And it was so abrupt, and I was like, no, not again. Right. Here we go again. But Bella was already initially starting the transition back in. So he was with Alexander sometimes, okay. but then some days he wouldn't. When he would go to his ranch, he'd be like, Alexander, you take over the next couple of days. I'll mm-hmm. be back or whatever. And and that was fine. We are all like, good. <laughs> okay, we're back to normal, you know? But there was a level of intensity that was unnecessary sometimes when the Curlies walked into the gym. It was like the air got cold and everything yeah. got crisp. And it was like tension. But... It was just one of those things that no matter what, I I wanted to be a champion still, and I didn't let any of those things get in my way. But I have to say, I mean, that's why I credit him so much. Alexander taught me how to be a great gymnast. I mean, he taught me skills and he finessed my form and all the things that I needed work on. I mean, he had the detail and the eye to see it and to know what I needed. Right he was working skills with me that were way beyond my years and I never got to fully finish them because it was so abrupt that, you know, he got fired. But, um, still to this day, I mean, when I think of him, I smile about that time period because even though it was hard Mm -hmm. and there were times where it was just like brutal in the sense of like, we're pushing ourselves and we're in the gym a lot, but not in a bad way. It was just like a lot of effort. A good way. In a good way. Um, I was just really thankful for that time, because had it not been for him, mm-hmm. I don't know where my gymnastics would have been, mm-hmm. honestly. Right before the Nationals, that's how I became the champion. Mm-hmm. That's how I became, you know, in the next year, I was able to kind of still continue that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I missed him dearly. I mean, gosh, I missed him dearly. I wanted him to bring me to the Olympics. I wanted him to bring me to the World Championships. But, yeah. you know, he didn't have the name the Corollies had in the political pool in the United States. But... He certainly had the knowledge, mm-hmm. and the knowledge is key. I think having a coach-athlete relationship that is strong, that is open, communicative, mm-hmm. you understand the goals. It's very important. Like, I never knew where we were going mm-hmm. when the Crowley's coached me. I never knew, what's the method? Like, sit down with us and tell us. what. A- it was just come in and go. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like we had a strategy. I didn't know how to prepare for it. It was just, you come in and do what he says to do. But there's more than that, you know, right. to develop yourself as your young self. And so I never felt like and communication was a, was a strong point for them. Mm-hmm. It was just you come in and do your job and do what we say. And that's it. It was very dictator like. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I guess that's all they knew. Um to me, I look now to my son who's doing the sport and I want him to evolve. I want it to be an evolution for him. Mm-hmm. I want him to have the same structure and balance of good coaches and mm-hmm. in his life and us as his parents can help coach him and right. have that development that he needs to be his absolute best. And we have this knowledge now. Um, you know, my parents did what they thought they didn't know. Right. I mean, I love them. I care for them, but they didn't know, you know, they thought they You're were at the best the place. Best yeah. Right. And you can't blame your parents sometimes because sometimes they don't know any better. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we know better. Mm-hmm. And so for the next generation, my husband and I know like Mike and I know what our children need. Yeah. And if our son who is showing the ability, the talent, the drive, cause he has innate drive, to be at this level and he wants to pursue it. I mean, we have everything in place Mm -hmm. that we
1: will need for him. So I feel very fortunate for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think, and one thing you touched on a little bit earlier that I think is so interesting to compare and contrast is you talk about, and you hear other, other athletes from your era talk a lot about not getting enough nutrition, not being able to eat, Mm -hmm. um, being really almost like stunted in your growth. I think you said once you, after the 96 Olympics, mm-hmm. you had a huge growth spurt and your body changed dramatically. But mm-hmm. but now we're seeing athletes, I noticed it was very dramatic, the United States team com- in comparing to some of the other teams at the Olympics this year and just how fit they looked. They mm-hmm. looked very strong, very mm-hmm. powerful, very um, healthy. Um, and in sort of as a result, the skills that they're able to do are just so powerful and they look you know, they look so much stronger. Mm-hmm. So, I was wondering if you could comment on that and how that aspect of the sport has evolved and what it's enabled the athletes to do.
0: Well, the sport has evolved, I believe. In the body changes that we see today, obviously, other than Mary Lou, she was very powerful, very powerful. in '84, but she was more a, a rare gymnast of that time period. Right. You saw a more petite and very slender gymnasts, but she had the power that you're seeing a little bit more of today. But even evolved from that, mm-hmm. um, I believe it's the code of points that has really forced mm. the gymnasts to become more powerful the demand of what's expected and this open-ended scoring system, if you don't have those powerful legs, how in the world are you going to do a double-double second, third pass, (laughs) double layout third pass? I mean, that was unheard of. That was usually a first pass. So you have to develop such a conditioning these days and we were very conditioned, but it was very different. I mean, we still had double-doubles thrown. Remember, in the 1988 Olympics, mm-hmm. we had double-doubles thrown, double layouts. I mean, we had hard skills still done then. Yeah. It's just we're seeing the development of bodies being in a different place nowadays. But the skills were were still being done back in the day, with the exception of Simone, who's really pushed the envelope. A lot of these skills were done a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um So now you're just seeing more of them Mm -hmm. done and more more gymnasts, yes, doing them. And so they're evolving. Um, But Ali and Simone certainly have stepped up the game with the the level of difficulty throughout the routine. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have the strong legs like they have, you can't do those Mm -hmm. routines. You can't do a double layout as your second or third pass. There's no way. You're seeing the Chinese um, gymnasts, their bodies are still the same. They've always been the same because their communist system, they pluck them at an early age. And they look for specific measurements. Mm -hmm. And if you're always looking for a specific measurement, you're always going to get the same type of, right? (laughs) So that's why you're seeing the Chinese gymnast bodies not evolve because they're in a communist system that actually plucks in a very systematic mathematical way. Mm -hmm. Now, if they let more body types in and change their weighs a little bit, you're going to see a development because Mm -hmm. there's people there that are tall. And, you know, even though it's more Uh, rare, there are people that are tall. You see the volleyball players. And so it's just the way they choose who is allowed to do the sport Mm -hmm. in China. That's why you're not seeing too much of them be a lot, bigger Mm -hmm. because this is what's worked for them. This is the body type they usually look for. And every now and then you'll get a little bit of a different body type. Like there was a gymnast, Cheng Fei. Mm -hmm. She was a little more explosive and powerful and she grew, Mm -hmm. but um, she was always small and then had a huge growth spurt as well. So, you know, in our sport, you know, we're lucky here in in our country to be able to have anybody who wants to do gymnastics. And if you can rise to the top, it doesn't discriminate against any body type Mm -hmm. necessarily anymore because you're seeing all shapes and sizes welcome mm-hmm. much, much more. But also, if you can handle the load, no one's going to be like, oh, hey, you can't do this. Right. If you can handle it and your body type is a little different, then they're going to let you go. I mean, if you qualify and you do the routines, what's, what is right. anybody going to say? Right. If you made it on your own merit and you can hang, that's, that's a good thing. It doesn't mean behind the scenes they're not being ridiculed about their body weight of course just so people are aware it still happens i mean i i know coaches that have done it in Mm -hmm. the last eight you know eight years in Mm -hmm. both olympics and in 2000 i know personally coaches who have coached the olympic girls on the team i know which ones i'm not gonna Mm -hmm. out them but i know they're telling them you need to lose five five pounds before the olympics you know and they're harping them. Mm-hmm. They're so obsessed about being skinny and like being lean mm-hmm. that they're afraid to eat. They're afraid to eat so they don't gain weight because mm-hmm. they're like, I don't want my coach to see me fat at my wedding. Right. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, that's that's a long way away. But OK, <laughs> like but they have it so drilled in you. They're so scared to be fat. Right. They're so scared to be, you know, um, a little bit heavier than they are. Well, it's unrealistic to be like you were in your peak shape of your life all the time. Mm -hmm. But they're not being told like a realistic measure. They're being told the skinnier you are, the better. I mean, there's still that stuff going on behind the scenes. So Mm -hmm. it's not like perfect. I don't know if it will ever be. But if we can get our coaches more educated on nutrition and a healthy approach, Mm -hmm. I mean, the elite women's program would benefit tremendously. They're still in the dark ages when it comes to that stuff, to be honest. There's still a lot of them in the dark ages, and they just look at how you look and they don't really realize how to fuel your body they just say don't eat pasta don't eat bread don't eat carbs and also you're too heavy so you need to lose five pounds so stop eating so stop <laughs> eating so basically that's right. what it, it triggers in your mind as a right. gymnast i mean i was getting weighed by some of my coaches three times a day wow. how unhealthy is that i was also being weighed at one of my gyms that i went to in front of my teammates every monday morning after the weekend wow! in front of my teammates, my coach would be there at her desk. She's in her office. And at this time I was the most out of shape out of everybody. Cause I had just come to this gym and I was working on kind of gaining my strength back. Probably she should have let me do it privately, like right. me and her, but it was public humiliation. Wow! I got on the scale. She, she not says the number yeah. in front of the whole team.
1: Oh my goodness. And you're
0: stripped down to your leotard and you get in front of, and then the whole team knows how much you weigh and you're like, well, this is really embarrassing on a wow. Monday morning. That's yes. how you start your week. That's how you start your week because she knew how, on the weekends yeah. that you would go out and eat. So Monday morning, like, well, that's how we hold you accountable. But right. it's it's humiliating. It's embarrassing. It makes you a little bit psycho about your weight. It's not done in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And all I think we elite gymnasts and former elite gymnasts ask for is for it to be done healthier. I mean, there's psychological long-term effects Mm -hmm. from that body shaming stuff that's been done. Absolutely. And those methods were very harsh. I mean, I know so many gymnasts that developed eating disorders because of that. Mm -hmm. And because of when the coaches kept calling us fat. And I mean, I was humiliated at one of the national team camps. Bella called me fat in front of the entire national team. Wow. Completely. I wanted to crawl under the floor and die. Mm -hmm. I was so embarrassed He's like, you're fatter than you came in. And I was like, oh my gosh, this was after I'd won a gold gold medal. I was 18, 19. I I shouldn't have been at that camp, but I was kind of forced into going. My coach should have said no. And then they just completely used it as a weapon to embarrass me. It was Mm. just awful. And so those kinds of things stick with you as a woman. I mean, you know, those things are what we need to shun and, and get away from. And it's masked a lot in our sport because people don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's masked. And only when we get us gymnasts together and be like, remember that time? Oh, my gosh, that sucked. I couldn't even eat. Remember us sneaking food? We have all these stories. (laughs) Trust me. Everybody packs an extra bag of just food when you go on international right. trips because you don't know sometimes when you're you going to eat. Yeah. Or if you're hungry, at least get a snack that your coach doesn't know about. Yeah. So, you know, that creates a culture of bingeing, hiding when you're eating. That psychologically has a long-term effect when you're mm-hmm. eating and hiding in a closet to eat. Like Come on. That's not
1: not normal. No, that's not <laughs> you normal. You shouldn't have but, to do that. But
0: you feel it's normal when you're training at the elite level right. because of the pressures you're getting from the coaches and external factors. I mean, being a young, developing lady in this sport is hard enough, but then you add that component mm-hmm. on top of it, mm-hmm. and it can make some people go literally insane. I mean, they can go from one extreme to the other mm-hmm. because of the way – these tactics have been brought upon us at different times in our careers and I've seen it with so many gymnasts develop those eating disorders and and it's not something that our sport at the elite level touches upon enough mm. and maybe they think oh it's not our problem and not our business but but it is because you're feeding the gymnasts at the national team training camps and yes mm. you say that the menu's healthy yes you put out bread but you really put it out just for the coaches because you know the gymnasts are not allowed to touch it. So it's like it's all a facade. It's right. all like, oh, we nothing to see here. Look at the great food we have. Right. They're allowed to grab it. Publicly, that's what they say. Look at this. It's so well balanced. <laughs> yeah, and then the gymnasts get in trouble if they grab a bread roll. That's why I grabbed one at when yeah. I went to the camp as a 24-year-old. I was like, I'm just going to do it because I can. Yeah, you just, know? To, just to like
1: yep. get back for all those years.
0: Yeah, so wow. – it's a lot of mind games like people don't realize how much at that high level there's a lot of mind games going on and some ladies have a much better experience like you see Simone and her coach like Mm -hmm. Simone's coach is not afraid to say nope she's not doing this today she was lucky because she was succeeding with less hours less training and I remember her coach telling me just this past summer when I saw her she's like she's like I think other coaches are starting to see that you know, our methods working because Simone's been so successful and said, yeah, because you stick up for her. You don't allow her to do overtraining. You you allow her to continue to love the sport and you don't body shame her. I mean, Mm -hmm. those are just some basic things that have allowed her to succeed and have a really good experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's all any elite gymnast can ask for. And they have been like so awesome for each other. I've really watched and, and really enjoyed watching them grow together, mm-hmm. but it just shows you, and it goes back to that how important that coach athlete relationship is Absolutely. and how they're not afraid to speak up
1: for you and stick up for you when they need to mm-hmm. yeah it's a, it's beautiful to see that bond and then to see you know to see all of her years of hard work pay off and to mm-hmm. see them sort of celebrating at the end of the Olympics this year. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. That concludes part A of my episode with Dominique Mucciano. Make sure you tune in and catch part B, where she'll talk more about the healing process that she went through in her relationship with her husband, Mike, and in writing her memoir. She'll talk about how she found out about her long-lost sister, Jen Bricker, in 2007, and what it was like to compare her own childhood experience with Jen's. She'll also talk about her approach to raising her children today and how she supports them to achieve their own dreams in a healthy way. And she'll answer the three questions that I ask everyone on the podcast. So make sure you check that out and we'll see you over there on part B. To make sure you never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefoucher.com where you can subscribe to my email list. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please email me at info at i I'll choose some of these inspiring stories to share here on the podcast in future episodes. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget you can train with me by visiting beyondthewhiteboard.com slash juliefouché. I always love hearing your feedback, so please leave comments under this post on my website, juliefouché.com, and share your thoughts on social media with the hashtag JFHealth. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health.